Chapter Two of Stories of the Ships by Lewis Ransom Freeman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section Eight: Coaling the Grand Fleet. A signal came one morning ordering the Grand Fleet to prepare to proceed to sea, and almost as though the sparks of the wireless that caught the winged word had themselves lighted the laid and waiting fires wreaths and coils of smoke began crowning some scores of towering funnels which a few moments before had loomed only in gaunt silhouette against the round snow-clad hillsides which ringed the northern base presently a dust-begrimed collier shook herself free from the moorings which held her to one of the battleships and floundering nervously as though anxious to get out of the way as quickly as possible nosed off into the sooty wakes of three of her untidy sisters who had been coaling the other ships of the division shortly the engineer commander his immediate duties at an end for the moment came up for a breath of fresh air and fell into step with me on the quarter-deck there you have so far as the navy is concerned the alpha and the omega of the coal he said motioning with his mittened hand first toward the retiring colliers and then with a sweeping gesture to where the thickening smoke columns were beginning to blend in a murky stratum of streaky black above the even lines of the anchored ships all the energy save only human force and that stored in food and explosives of the fleet comes aboard from its colliers or oilers he continued all that is left of it after making steam to run the turbines and dynamos and for working the condensers cooking and heating goes up through the funnels or down through the clinker hoppers then he told me of an incident which had occurred a day or two previously some one came into the wardroom he said and remarked casually that the wireless had just picked up a signal from a ship about to go ashore in the heavy storm then driving outside what is she several officers asked with quick concern only a collier was the reply and everybody reassured resumed the reading of their newly arrived papers i was afraid it was a destroyer was the only comment any one made that is just to show said the engineer commander how few in a warship save those of us whose work is the conversion of it into energy stop to think how vitally important coal really is to us as a matter of fact one can easily imagine circumstances in which the loss of a collier would be far more serious than that of a destroyer cruiser or even of a battleship it will doubtless surprise one not already informed in the matter to know that the average modern battleship lying at anchor and waiting to be ordered to sea may easily consume twenty-five tons of coal a day which figure will be raised from fifty to a hundred per cent by one or two harbour spins at half or quarter speed for target practice the condensers make the greatest demand for coal in a battleship not under steam with the running of dynamos for the numerous and constantly increasing electrical devices next in order the galleys where the cooking and baking is done are third on the list of consumers with the cheery open grates which are installed wherever practicable accounting for the remainder 
the course of the coal from the hold of the collier to where on the fire bars its potential energy is transformed into kinetic power to furnish power for a battleship is an interesting one though i should not care to follow it quite so closely as did the ring of an officer i met not long ago emerging from the hold of a collier after a couple of hours spent there directing sack filling he missed a large signet ring which he had been wearing when he descended into the dusty hole search was of course out of the question but by a lucky chance he happened to mention his loss to one of the men who had been working in the hold he in turn spoke of it in the mess decks which was the only reason that led the stoker who three days later at sea found a shining lump of metal among the clinkers he was raking out to dump and bring it to the officer in question the gnarled ash-pitted lump bore no resemblance to a ring but a distorted but still recognizable section of the seal identified it beyond a doubt it had been shoveled into a sack of coal hoisted in the ladder to the deck dumped into a chute finally to work out of the bottom of a bunker into the stokehold and be thrown under the boilers a man can make the descent from the deck through an empty bunker to the stokehold without great discomfort but would hardly survive being shut up in the former for long with the coal the speedy coaling of even an eight-knot tramp is almost always desirable with a warship it may often mean the difference between success and failure all of the principal navies of the world have given the matter much study and experiment but down to this day no practicable contrivance has been evolved which will go far toward eliminating the variable human element in coaling something can be done with mechanical carriers where a ship can berth alongside high bunkers but nothing of the kind appears to have been devised that is not too bulky to carry about in either a warship or a collier the construction of a warship makes it impracticable to have large openings into which coal might be hoisted in bulk from a collier the american navy coals its battleships by hoisting that fuel to the decks with huge mechanical grabs but according to such information as is available to me at this moment this method while effecting a saving in labor does not approach for speed records the british have put up by manhandling the coal at every stage of its transit except the hoisting since a few minutes time lost in the putting to sea of the million tons or so of the warships which the british hold in leash against any sally in force of the german fleet might easily be enough to spoil the chance of a decisive engagement quick coaling has perhaps been given more attention in the grand fleet since the war than at any other time in the history of the british navy the time in which various classes of ships can put to sea after receiving orders varies in different emergencies and is hardly a proper topic of discussion in any detail the coal in the bunkers of no ship is allowed to fall below a very high fixed minimum at any time and even ships on special missions at sea always have enough in hand to allow them to reach and play a vigorous if tardy part in any conceivable kind of a general engagement that may ensue 
the pursuance of this policy is responsible for the frequent and speedy coalings which are so much a feature of the regular grind in the northern base a ship may coal at any hour of the day or night especially if she is just in from the sea and there appears to be a chance of her being called upon to put out again on short notice but the usual time is the morning barrows and sacks are brought out and such other preparations as practicable are made the night before breakfast is served at an early hour every one officers and men coming down to it in their coaling togs the latter may be any old kind of a rig-out calculated to keep the coal dust from penetrating to a minimum section of the hide of the wearer a one-piece overall is a favorite garment with both men and officers and a white summer cap cover worn like a cook's headdress serves a useful purpose in keeping the dust out of the hair a layer of vaseline about the eyes makes it easier to remove the dust with soap and water after coaling and a failure to take this precaution leaves one with the make-up of a moving picture villain for two or three days practically all of the officers with the exception of the paymasters and medical staff have duties in connection with coaling ordinarily these are confined to directing various stages of the operation but occasionally perhaps to stimulate action when speedy work is desirable or for the sheer exhilaration of exercise one will take a spell with a shovel or barrel on several ships of the grand fleet the padre is one of the most useful coalers the decks are black with waiting men as the collier comes alongside and the instant the mooring lines are made fast several hundred of them each with a broad short-handled scoop clamber over her rail and leap down into the open holes others toss down bundles of the sacks in which the coal is hoisted aboard these sacks are a highly important and distinctive factor in british naval coaling the ingenious way in which they are used being largely responsible for the remarkable speed records which have been put up they are made of extremely heavy jute bound with light manila rope and of a size sufficient to hold two hundred weight of coal at the mouth are two beckets or iron rings through which the strop is rove each sack weighs in the neighborhood of sixteen pounds even when new water soaked and smeared with a paste of coal dust its weight may be increased by from twenty to fifty per cent before the war the cost of a sack was about eleven shillings sixpence but the rise in jute must have made it much greater at the present time the sacks are filled by scoop in the holes of the collier and dragged together in bunches of about a dozen each the wire cable from the hoisting boom is run through the rings at the mouth of each sack and made fast as the winch winds in it tightens and takes up the slack thus drawing the mouths of the sacks together and preventing the spilling of coal in hoisting the instant the sacks are hoisted to the deck of the warship a man casts loose one end of the wire cable and on the swinging back of the whip it is pulled out of the rings and the coal left ready for the barrowman the barrow employed appears to differ in no essential detail from the truck used by railway porters in handling trunks 
it is perhaps a little smaller than the average of the latter and somewhat more squattily built after the technique of picking up and dumping one sack is mastered it is by no means difficult to handle the main point being to trundle it as nearly as possible on the balance so that a minimum of strength is wasted in keeping the barrel from sitting up and sitting down once these details are understood any fairly strong man or boy should be equal to the physical exertion of coaling for two or three hours at a stretch without rest a short sturdily built man is at something of an advantage over a tall one as the latter has to stoop considerably to bring his centre of effort behind his load the wheeling of the sacks from the point where they are left in a tottering pile on the deck to the opening of the chutes down which their contents are dumped to the bunkers is the most important stage of the operation for the way it is carried out makes all the difference between a fast and a slow coaling obviously then it is to the organization of this traffic that the greatest attention is given since a battleship is primarily made for fighting the facility with which coal may be taken aboard is necessarily a secondary consideration between turrets hatches and various other obstructions on the decks the route by which a coal sack is wheeled to a chute is always a devious one part of it usually runs across open deck where double track traffic is possible at other points the way may be so narrow that only a single barrow may be wheeled through at a time and even that only when carefully steered to avoid the latter necks the returning empties must if possible find an alternative route or if this is not practicable going and returning barrows must be flagged through by turn as on a congested stretch of a city street when half of it is torn up for repairs the same sort of thing occurs where the track of the loaded barrels crosses that of the returning empties at both instances it is customary to give loads the right of way over empties the latter watching their chances to push through in the frequent gaps in the traffic of the former it is in the control of the traffic at these points and on the quick-wittedness of the men in keeping out of each other's way and avoiding a jam that a great part of the secret of speedy coaling lies but perhaps we can learn more about it by taking our barrow and falling into line the frost-silvered metal handles strike a chill to the fingers straight through your woolly mittens but don't worry on that score your own animal heat will more than even up the balance by the time you have kept your place in line for ten minutes the last of a pile of sacks has just been trundled away and to the scream of the winch another cluster is rising slowly out of the hold to take its place the scoop men are falling into their stride by this time and from now on you can expect them to be sending up a fresh bouquet every forty or fifty seconds that your barrow wheels may have a fair run a man with a scoop pushes aside the lumps of coal which have fallen out of the last sacks and another man shovels them up and throws them into a half-filled sack hanging to the rail there is a warning cry of stand clear and the cluster of sacks plumps down upon the deck with a heavy thud 
even while it is still in the air two men have seized corners of the swaying mass and pushed it along so that it lands in the centre of the rather restricted working space in this particular corner of the forecastle deck at the same time one of them frees an end of the wire cable and as the boom retreats the two help to make it run smoothly out through the beckets at the mouths of the sacks at the release of the encircling grip of the cable some of the sacks begin to topple over but before one of them has fallen to its side which would of course result in the spilling of a good part of its contents quick-footed barrowmen have pushed their trucks under them and they are held sufficiently upright to retain their loads a tug or two from one of the loading men sets a sack straight on a barrow and the man behind the latter watching from the corner of an eye to keep from fouling another load backs quickly but carefully out executes a dexterous right about and trundles off on a trot along the track to the nearest chute after three or four barrows have been pushed impatiently past you the wheel of one of them over the toe of your sea-boot you suddenly realize that the dump is no place for alphonse and gaston tactics and decide to shove in on your own your timid advance however proves too slow to head off a more pushful mate in a sou'wester and he gets the lip of his barrow under the sack you had marked for your own you edge back politely to make an exit for him and his load and lo two other vultures pounce in upon the pair of remaining sacks and roll away with them you jump back toward safety at the dump boss's shout of stand clear step in the scoop of the man who is brushing up the crumbs stumble against the man who has charge of the sack on the rail and in sitting down manage to thrust your barrow between the legs of one of the men who is humouring the fresh bouquet of coal sacks into place so perfect is your camouflage of overall sou'wester and sea-boots that none of these hasty individuals whose activities you have inadvertently interfered with recognizes you as an officer and gentleman in disguise and each of them without arresting a single motion curses you fluently in the picturesque persiflage of the sea you salve your barrow as best you can and stand by for the withdrawal of the strop which is your signal for action in your eagerness you fail to give the lip of your barrow that uh, finisiva safety razor sweep along the deck which experience subsequently teaches you is the proper way to get under your white man's burden and give the tottering sack you are nose-diving for a vigorous dig just the same kind of a dig that the keen-edged lip of the barrow you have stepped in front of gives you on your achillean tendon the sack totters drunkenly and slutters down upon the deck you reach the same less directly but with greater impact by carooming off the barrow which has slashed your heel a spilled sack in clogging the nicely adjusted coaling machine always has the germ of a jam lurking in it and only the two or three stout fellows who buck their laden barrows straight through the mess you have made by clearing the last of the sacks away a hair's breadth before the next bouquet descends upon them avert disaster now luckily they are able to swear and work at the same time and by plying their hands no less vigorously than their tongues save the situation 
the man who throws the crumbs into the sack on the rail is less busy than the other dump hands and he it is who finds leisure to insinuate that you ought to go to some place where they have no coaling to do you have no time to consider whether he means the place you would mean if you were in his place for your honour is at stake now and scowling with grim coldly calculative determination you stand for the third trial neither too coy nor yet too impulsive this time but by the exercise of such common sense as is still at your command you press quietly but firmly toward the cluster of sacks and by lifting your barrow bodily and jerking it sidewise for a few inches manage to align it fairly evenly in front of a bulging bag of coal dust it appears to require about as much effort on the part of one of the load hands to wriggle it aboard as it does on your part to tip back your barrel to something like a balance but the fact remains that you do have it stowed and are ready to get under way it is the coldly calculative set-jaw spirit which carries you through the next stage with fair success it is no easy task to do your right about on the slithery deck but now that you are a load instead of an empty a tendency to help you on your way is at once in evidence a couple of empties are edged back an inch or two to give you clearance and a load accelerates to avoid giving you a sideswipe where the deck slopes up under the elevated midship guns the petty officer who stands there to wave the traffic down the proper passage gives your sack a friendly kick to keep your barrow from losing weight and checking the pushers crowding close on your heels you debouche to open deck on the port side and are about to push on in the wake of the man just ahead when the corner of your eye catches the motion of the left hand of the traffic officer and with the going easy on the down slope you execute a neat eight-point alteration of course and bring up smartly in front of an open manhole just in time to replace a man who has dumped his sack and ducked out of your way unluckily you have had no chance to study the technique of this operation and it is not surprising that you run too close and dump your sack so that it falls with its mouth a foot beyond the hole and disgorges a part of its contents on the deck as a consequence the two men working here have to drag the sack back before emptying it where if you had dumped it properly they would only have had to lift it by its corners and allow the coal to run out down the chute of course they tell you what they think of you and while you are answering that you are sorry for your mistake and will know how to avoid it next time a sharp dig from an only half-checked barrel lip on your already wounded achilles tendon helps to drive home the rule that while there is no ban on talking swearing and singing to your heart's content the action of the tongue should not be allowed to paralyze the action of the feet the man ahead of you has disappeared at a trot and in your eagerness to overtake him you lift the handles of your barrow too high with the consequence that the first lump of coal that gets under the wheels brings it up standing and you telescope against it 
the lesson this drives home to you together with the one that sinks in following the jam you create by your slowness in plunging through the procession of loads which must be passed in getting back to the dump just about rounds out the basic essentials of your barrel pushing education you have learned how to keep out of the way the rest is largely a matter of handling your barrow in a fashion to make the work easier not only for yourself but for the others whose operation dovetail with yours the work in the holes of the collier and the bunkers of the battleship while perhaps a shade less strenuous physically than barrow pushing is a deal more dusty and unpleasant four holes are worked in the average collier and in each of these are about thirty men these work in six groups each of which fills and stacks one cluster of sacks the men alternate in holding sacks and shoveling special instructions are given that the sacks shall be completely filled and that no pieces of coal too large to go down the chutes to the bunkers should be put in them a maul is kept handy in each hold for smashing such lumps a minimum of a dozen sacks are hoisted at one time and occasionally this number is increased by two or three the coal dust is the unpleasant feature of working in the holes of the colliers but even there it is nothing to the bunkers where one actually feels it grinding between his teeth from the moment he enters the coal falls in a steady stream from the chutes the dust flying from it like the spray from a waterfall there is no electric wiring and the lights are open flares good ventilation making the danger of an explosion from coal damp negligible the men who work here shoveling the coal away from the chutes and passing it on toward the lower bunkers would make the average chimney sweep look like a white-winged angel there is no way to avoid inhaling the settling dust with every breath and i could well believe a red-eyed imp of darkness whom i found blinking like a bat in the sunshine after the collier had cast off when he told me that he would be tasting the bloomin stuff for the next week the more one sees of coaling the more he marvels at the extent to which the human element enters into its success a crew that is not both quick of foot and quick of wit will never have more than a mediocre coaling record if a man has not both when he is not getting in the way of his mates he will be losing a few seconds here and a few seconds there until these run into minutes in the course of two or three hours multiplied by five or six hundred the number of the men at work it may well make the difference in a coaling rate of many score of tons per hour a keen interest and pride in the work is also a sine qua non of fast coaling no ship in which there is not the best of feeling between the men and officers will ever maintain a high coaling average under the stimulus of imminent action or when preparing to weigh anchor for some favorite port things will move quickly but the rate will not be maintained when the regular grind resumes indeed slow coaling is perhaps the commonest form of silent protest on the part of a dissatisfied crew and a ship which maintains a steadily depressed curve of coaling is generally credited with being due for a general shake-up of personnel End of section eight.